Do you feel sorry for Theresa May? Sometimes I do. I mean, she's being held. Why yeah. do you feel sorry for Sometimes her? Sometimes I do. Why do you feel sorry for her? Well, I just look at her and just think she looks dreadful. Um, what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business? And the, the stuff about me paddling all the nonsense the sea was actually closed. It was a, a red notice. You just can't call it. We will not be caught with no clothes on. I've always been a completely normal UK tax player. It's not in opposition that I want to be, and it's Nicola's desk I want. I want to serve this country <laughs> as First <laughs> Minister <laughs> and its Labour values. You can have the desk, you're just not getting the job. <laughs> If you've been to Peppa Pig World, who's been to Pads? I've anybody who's been to Peppa Pig World. In December, I'll be in Beijing opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously, besties, what the actual fuck? Hiya, besties. It's spooky season, and what is spookier than anything else you can imagine? Tory conference. My God, it has, uh, it has knocked on the door and whispered something very threatening. Um, and we are all hiding behind the sofa and trying not to cry. This is what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business. I'm Jennifer Wan and I would advise you to grab a drink, grab a snack, maybe, 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 uh, raid the cupboards for some of that Halloween candy and have it for yourself a little early just as a treat, you know, cause you deserve it. Get comfy and cozy, maybe make a jack-o'-lantern and let's go. This stupid fucking government will just never let me have any peace. Every time I think I can just relax, I can just have an evening to myself, not think about it. They do something fucking stupid and I have to do this. I'm sick of it, honestly. Honestly, right, okay. So here's here's the next bright idea from our beloved government. Banning mobile phones in schools. Wow. <laughs> Long-term decisions for a brighter future, lads. Uh, so Gillian Keegan, the sweary woman of Whitehall, tweeted, We know that mobile phones are a source of distraction and bullying in the classroom. Yet 40% of 14-year-olds report that their lessons were disrupted by phones. Okay, so today we're banning phones in schools. The Conservatives are taking long-term decisions for a brighter future. The schools are full of fucking insanely dodgy concrete. The buildings could come crashing down around the children at any time. Teachers are overworked. There are kids going to school hungry. There are kids who, who can't afford to have the basic school supplies. And there, the big idea is banning mobile phones. I fucking can't. I can't. This is so... <laughs> Ugh. 
I'm about to snap, besties. I can't, I can't do this, man. I, okay, listen, let's talk about why this is dumb. Firstly, enforcing this is going to add a ton more work to overwork teachers. In between all the other shit they have to do. Teaching the kids on a base level. All the lesson plans, all the admin that teachers have to do. Which most people, they they don't realise. They don't realise. There's so much work that teachers have to do. Most of them are still working. When they finish for the day, they go home. They have to do extra work. Teachers have homework. This shit is insane. They're working at weekends. They're working during the school holidays. Teachers are exhausted. Why are you adding more work for them to do? Why? Just why? <sighs> Fucking hell. I mean, it, it's, it's like they're begging the teachers, please go on strike. We really, really would like you to go on strike, in fact. Please. Like, what the fuck, man? What the fuck? <laughs> on top of that, As I said, there are so many priorities that an education secretary should be focusing on, such as the fact that many school buildings are insanely dangerous. That should be focused on. Um, The the lack of budget in many schools. I I mean, (laughs) schools are having to have fucking fundraisers for school supplies. Why isn't the education secretary worried about that? But instead, no, she's she's just really fixated on mobiles for some reason. Um, on top of that, I mean, this this is something that, I you know, I don't know if it's going to be an issue everywhere. But I do know it will be an issue in quite a few places. There are perfectly good reasons for kids to have phones with them at school. One of the primary ones being getting to and from school. Let me explain. Hear me out. When I was at school, uh, there was transport provided for those of us who lived uh, in rural areas, but it was very unreliable. There were many times when it just wouldn't turn up. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so we needed a way to contact our, our families to let them know, hey, I'm stuck at school because... <laughs> Because this transport the council's organised hasn't turned up again. And unfortunately, that is still the case. I I know this for a fact. I've spoken to lots of people. Um, there's also been lots of coverage of this in the media of, of kids who are left stranded at school or stranded halfway home because there's been an issue with the transport. How are they supposed to get hold of their parents if they don't have a phone with them? Did you think about that, Gillian? Did you really? Because I don't think that you did. Also, um, medical emergencies, family situations. If if something happens at home, and the kid needs to be informed, yeah, sure, you can say, oh, well, they can call through to you know the family can call through to reception, and a message will be passed on. What is so wrong with parents being able to get hold of their kids when they need them? What is so wrong with that? I d- <laughs> what, is, what is so wrong with that? And I mean, 
if you if you want to talk about the bullying aspect, because you know it's important and it does need to be addressed. But just banning phones doesn't actually fix the issue. It doesn't. It's a lazy way of dealing with a problem. The actual solution, the actual solution is proper anti-bullying programmes, proper consequences for bullying, proper support to the schools so that they can enforce these programmes and these consequences. Because right now, frankly, if a kid is being bullied, the school basically has no support and they have no way of actually enforcing the rules to make sure that bullying stops. You you have to... You have to create an environment where bullies will learn that it's wrong and that there are consequences to that. Just banning phones, just a blanket ban on phones is not going to solve the problem. You think that kids will not find other ways to bully each other? Like, <laughs> how, how does Jillian think that bullying worked before the early 2000s? <laughs> Does she just think it was some kind of utopia where there was no bullying whatsoever? Girl, <laughs> be for fucking real. Um, so it's it's a very lazy way out, you know. It's like let's just ban this this thing, you know, and, and that'll be that. It's it's giving it's giving uh let's ban rap music because of violent crime or let's ban computer games because of violent crime <laughs> it's it's giving the video nasties list it's it's very stupid it's very it's very dumb um there's also um you know kids who have medical issues you know this is the thing phones are not just for you know social media and tiktok and texting and tweeting and whatever government ministers who are quite technologically illiterate think kids use their phones for all kinds of things um you know there are kids who will be using them to store medical information you know you can have information about allergies um your emergency contacts that's all on your phone if that kid is going to and from school and and god forbid there is something that happens Maybe they're allergic to something and, you know, something goes wrong there or they have a medical condition. That phone is going to contain the details for their family, for what medical conditions they may have. <laughs> that shit's important, actually. Um, you know, so so that should be there and they should have that available. I, I, I'm sure that many, uh, many parents who are listening will know Um when it comes to stuff that happens to and from school, you know, on that journey, you're not going to get a lot of support for that. You're not going to get a lot of support um, in terms of what happens when a kid is, uh, for lack of a better term, commuting between home and school. If there is a, a medical emergency, you know, is anyone going to be able to get through to the school to find out what the situation is? Um, are their friends going to know by heart off the top of their head that kids parents phone numbers or what medication they need or anything like that probably not probably not you know I 
I, I, I'm, an, <laughs> I'm an adult and I couldn't even remember that about my friends. Half the time I can't even remember it about myself. Uh, but, you know, thank God I have a little thing on my phone that will tell people. It tells, you know, if I have an emergency, they can press a little button on my phone and it will tell them, here are my emergency contacts. Although that's a little awkward though because... <laughs> One of my emergency contacts is my little brother. And me and him have funny contact names for each other. So they'll open it and they'll be like, uh, her emergency contact is named Lil Bitch. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm named Cheeky Nando's in his phone. So I, I guess it'd be an equally funny situation now. Um, but also tell them any medical conditions I have, any allergies I have, my, my fucking blood type, all that shit. So, you know, if I'm being taken away in, a, in an ambulance, I can't talk because I'm going through some kind of medical situation. They are going to know how to help me. They are going to know what to do. And now we're, we're just sending kids out into the world. <laughs> and because Gillian Keegan has a bee in her bonnet about mobile phones, that information is not going to be with those kids. A parent's going to have to start writing it down by hand and like sewing it into their children's school jumpers or something. I mean... We have moved to a point, technology-wise, where a phone is so much more than just a little brick in your pocket that you use to watch, I don't know, YouTube clips of cats or that video of a monkey riding on a pig or whatever. Um, you know, it, it will have stuff like, you know, medical information that may be needed in an emergency or you know, your parents' numbers or, um, you know, things like that, you know, your address if you get lost. Uh, for some kids, it's going to have, you know, an emergency bank card or something that they can use in the event that they need to get home and they can't get hold of anybody. They need to, you know, call a taxi, something like that. I mean, I, I, um, I remember, and, and this was, <laughs> it was a horrible situation, um, there was a, a young guy, he was, I, I think he was about 15, and he needed to get home. The bus he needed, it was the same one I was waiting for, didn't show up. It did not show up um, because, you know, public transport has gone to shit. And it was the last bus and it was the only one that went in the direction he needed. So he had no other way to get home. And luckily, I was there. I mean, <laughs> me being in a situation is not always great, I guess. But in that particular moment, it was actually helpful because I was able to help him get in touch with his mum so that he could organise a way to get home. And if he had had his phone available... I wouldn't have needed to be there because if I hadn't have been there, I, I, I dread to think what would have happened to him. It was dark. It was getting late. It was, it was quite a remote area. He couldn't walk home because it would have been hours and hours of walking along, frankly, very dimly lit and quite uh, treacherous country roads a, a teenage boy shouldn't be doing that. That's insane. Um, luckily, I was able to lend him my phone. He was able to call his mum. They were able to sort something out. If he had had a phone available to him in that time, he would have been able to do that without 
someone else having to be there. And this is another thing, um, you know, in, in today's landscape, in a lot of households, parents are working full time. They are not always going to be available to rush down to the school to pick up the kids in the event that there is some kind of transport issue or something like that. It's, it's unfortunate. It's not the way things used to be. And, and that's part of the problem when it comes to the government is you have a lot of people that come from a generation and a time when it was possible, when, um, you know, when there was always one parent home or whatever. And, you know, things actually worked. <laughs> things like public transport actually worked. And so you could rely on that. But now... We have a situation where kids often set off to school by themselves. They come home by themselves. They need to have a way to communicate. They need to have something in place in case of emergencies. And the government's just like, no, actually, no, we're not doing that. We're taking that away. And this, this is their big answer when it comes to our children's education. They don't care about... They don't care about making sure the school buildings are safe. They don't care about making sure that the teachers have uh, a good a good relationship with their work because they have good working conditions. They don't care about that. They don't care about whether the kids have everything they need in terms of equipment. They don't care if there are... <laughs> I mean, one one of the things when it comes to education is that a lot of the time kids with different learning styles are just left behind. And the government doesn't care about that. They don't care about that. They're not going to fix that. But what they are going to do is ban phones. Just because. Because they need to be seen doing something. And I guess, well, in their minds, uh, it doesn't matter if that thing is fucking dumb. I can't, I literally can't with these fucking people, man. Okay, so the conference that keeps making us suffer continues and Jeremy Hunt has a big announcement of his own and that, <laughs> I am going to self-emulate, I swear to fucking God, capping civil service numbers. fucking do this man we need the civil service they actually have quite important jobs there are a huge amount of delays in a great number of things um as you may remember i am currently uh <laughs> i am currently uh going through the process of attempting to sort out somebody's estate after their death and that means uh, <laughs> a, a long journey with the probate registry. And <laughs> so the government's website will tell you that the process should take 16 weeks. Uh, you make your application, you get your grant in 16 weeks. Lies and Minnelli, lies. I have been waiting way longer. 
way longer than that. When you try and call the probate registry, you can't talk to anyone because there's no one available. They are so short staffed. Um, when you email them, it will take weeks for them to get back to an email because they are so short staffed. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> I have to laugh or I will literally have a breakdown. Um, the government decided it was a really clever idea to to cut a bunch of experienced staff in the probate registry, fire them, send them away, make them redundant, cut the numbers of staff working there, take away the, all the experienced people. And then they were really shocked when getting probate sorted went from being something that took two weeks to 16 weeks to where it is now where it's estimated it can take 22 weeks in some cases 24 weeks and that is when there's not even an issue with your application <laughs> my <laughs> i can't deal with these people man my application wasn't even looked at until 16 weeks it wasn't even looked at so the entire time that the government quoted, so it's supposed to be you put your application in, it takes them 16 weeks to go through all the paperwork and get your grant out to you. They didn't even look at my application until the time had passed. And I'm still waiting for it. Um, I hope every day that it will come so I can put this shit behind me and move on with my life and finally get like more than three hours of sleep a night but no every day i'm like adam driver in that movie every day i wake up and i hope that you will stop ignoring my solicitor's emails literally that is me that is me that's my life and um what's the government's response to these insane delays No new civil servants. But what the government is allowing is contractors. So these are not people that will be civil servants. They are independent contractors. They cost way more money. They cost way more money. And because they're not going to be, you know, there every day, they're not permanent members of staff or anything like that, they're not, there's not going to be that consistency. They're not going to have that experience level. <laughs> so it's like, okay, great. Great, fantastic. So we're paying more money to bring in people who are not going to be as effective and productive as the people that you let go all that time ago or the people that we could hire full time and allow them to be trained up and do the job properly. What is the point of this, Jeremy Hunt? What is the reason? What? <laughs> I just can't. Um, I, I'm nosy, you know this. I had a little look on the civil service Reddit. Oh my God, I feel like they're in the same like vibe as me. 
we're on the same wavelength here. There's one person who commented, and this is why a bunch of ridiculously expensive contractors have just joined our team. Waste of taxpayer money. There we go. God, let's have a look. Uh, can't wait to see how having less staff somehow leads to being more productive. Is that because you are expected to cover three people's workload for one person's pay? Exactly. <laughs> These poor people, man. I, I, I mean, and it's, it, it, it's, it's such a hard process to get into the civil service because it's very important work that is literally needed to make sure the country functions. And they're just treated like trash. But I mean, it's just how the UK is these days. Anybody who is really important is treated like trash. Teachers, doctors, nurses, civil servants, um, you know, public transport workers, all of them, they're just treated like they're disposable. <laughs> and then the government's like, why are they on strike? What's going on? Are they, are, they not, are they not grateful for that time we clapped them during COVID? Or, you know, are they not grateful for <laughs> the relevant Secretary of State posting some kind of, we're really grateful to you tweet? Like, <laughs> I mean, look... I understand that perhaps the Tories just be wilding at the moment. They're just wilding because they know they're not going to win the next election. But for fuck's sake, th there are things that they are implementing right now. We can't, unfortunately, we can't just kick them out immediately. And so they are making decisions and they are putting things in place right now that are just... They're just going to make all of our lives harder for no reason. This shit is insane. We, we cannot go on like this. And the fact of the matter is, we cannot afford to live under the Tories anymore. Like, that's just it. That's the tweet as they, well, as they used to say. They don't say that no more. But, um, well, I do. <laughs> but we can't, you know, nothing works. We're all poorer, and they're now threatening to bring back the woman who made us poorer. Um, and, and what's their answer? What, what is their answer? We're going to make all of the issues with public services even worse on purpose. Uh, we're going <laughs> to fuck around with your kids' education and not help them to succeed. We're going to disrespect healthcare workers at every turn we are gonna fuck over renters repeatedly um we're also gonna fuck over homeowners as well just for the lols uh we're gonna fuck the environment again and again and again until there's nothing left and then i guess we'll just slink off to opposition and you know bitch everybody from the sidelines as if we didn't cause this mess. And you know what's worse? <laughs> you know what's worse? Millions of pounds has just been signed off on and spent building a new recruitment website and platform for the civil service. 
Sasha's just millions of pounds pissed away on a, a jobs website for the civil service that now will not be able to be used because <laughs> no recruitment for the civil service. So, <laughs> I mean, I know why. I was going to say, well, why was that done? But I know why. Probably because some donor to the Tory party was like, hey, gang, I could do a 20 million if you've got it spare. And they were like, sure, pretend to build a website for us or something. And that's why. But (laughs) they're just being so blatant about it. It's disgusting. This is the third time that I am recording something for this podcast this week. And it's only Monday. Um, I cannot believe it. Uh, so, Susan Hall, the uh, London Mayor candidate for the Conservative Party... She hasn't got a big conference moment, but she was featured at a fringe event. And she said something that, frankly, is so disgusting and dangerous that it is astounding to me that the Conservatives seem to be willing to stand by her. But then again, maybe it's not because... The Conservatives have a history of leaning into racism to try and defeat Sadiq Khan in elections. So, I mean... So, uh, she was speaking at this event and she said... One of the most important things that we can do when I become Mayor of London is make it safer for everybody, but particularly for our Jewish communities. So I will ask for as much help as I can to get in to London because we need to defeat Sadiq Khan, particularly for our Jewish community. Girl, you better leave Jewish people the fuck alone. Don't go dragging them into things because you cannot beat Sadiq Khan fairly one-on-one with um, decent policies or ideas. Don't go dragging the Jewish community, a, a, a vulnerable minority group, into your shit show. Leave them the fuck alone. Stay away from them. Get a job. She's trying She's trying to imply that Jewish people are frightened of Sadiq Khan and that everybody should vote for her to, to protect Jewish people from this scary Muslim man. And, and, you know, it's also throwing out the, you know, this whole thing of, Oh, Jewish, you know, she's basically implying that Jewish people are Islamophobic, which is disgusting. It's a disgusting thing to say. It's a disgusting thing to say. Um, it's not true at all. You know, and it works the other way around. Muslim people are not, you know, automatically anti-Semitic. Like, that's, that's not a thing either. Um, 
she is effectively slurring Jewish people and Muslims. She is implying that Sadiq Khan is, is dangerous to Jewish people. Jewish people are frightened of him. The whole thing, it's, it, it's Islamophobic, it's anti-Semitic, it's, it's disgusting. Genuinely, this whole thing is disgusting. And, and again, this, this is the best the Conservatives apparently have for London. This. I mean... Honestly, the whole thing is fucking disgusting. The whole situation is disgusting. Um, the implication that, that Sadiq Khan is, is somehow dangerous to, to Jewish people is absolutely revolting. Um, it is not based in truth whatsoever. Um, one, one of the things, you know, whether you agree with um, all the choices he's made as mayor or not, whether you like him or not, it is undeniable that Sadiq Khan, during his time in the role, has really, really tried to be as respectful to every part of London as he can, to every every person in London. He's He's not a racist. He's not misogynistic he's not intolerant of other faiths other people so i i mean trying trying to um trying to act as if the jewish community has something to fear from him is awful frankly and it's also incredibly unkind and, and frankly dangerous to Jewish people as well, because it's that implication that they are, you know, that they are prejudiced against Sadiq Khan because of his religion. And I, I don't I don't think that's the case. In fact, I, I know that's not the case uh, because she is currently being dragged on social media by London's Jewish community who are not OK with this. Um, and I don't blame them. They are being dragged into this because Susan Hall knows that she cannot win based on policy. She cannot win on what she can offer the people of London. So she literally is just resorting to ugly, dirty tricks and trying to create division. And <laughs> the Jewish community was like, no, thank you. We are not going to be used by you. We're not going to allow you to put words in our mouths, stay away from us, get a job. Um, and I, I love that from them. Uh, so the Board of Deputies of British Jews tweeted, Throughout his tenure as mayor, Sadiq Khan has treated our community with friendship and respect. We hope to co-host the key mayoral candidates at the 2024 Jewish hustings, where it will be clear that while London Jews may have varying political views, there is no fear present at all. There we go. There we go. 
Um, there also there's I mean there's a lot of tweets if you if you search up if you have a look. Um, there are so many um, Jewish people from across London and also from across the UK as well who who are very upset about this and I think they have every right to be upset about this being dragged into something that has you know no good intention no good faith behind it um being used by Susan Hall to attack Sadiq Khan um the implication that they are Islamophobic I mean just everything about this situation is is disgusting and Jewish people deserve so much better than this. Um, and, and it is disgusting that Susan Hall would do this. And it's disgusting that, yet again, we have an incident where Susan Hall is, is being very obviously vocally and publicly disgusting. And the Conservatives are not going to step in. This is not the first time that one of their candidates for London mayor has jumped straight to racism, discrimination and division. And they've done nothing about it. They've done nothing about it. And so, frankly, I, I don't expect for the Conservatives to do anything here. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. It's disgusting, but I don't think they will. Um, and I do think that the Jewish community deserve better than being dragged into this. I think that the Muslim community also deserves better. Um, the the idea that that anybody in London has anything to fear from them or from Sadiq Khan, which is you know that that's that's what that's what she was trying to say in a bigger sense as well, that um, that Muslims are dangerous to Jewish people. Muslims are dangerous on the whole, which they are not. Um, and, and, and again, this, this is, this is who the conservatives think is appropriate and this is the best they have. It's not good enough. As if we didn't have enough to do, as if we weren't busy enough in our day-to-day -day lives, we now have to all be police, apparently. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so another gem from the Tory party conference came from Chris Philp, the policing minister, who said this. I would also just remind everyone that the wider public, including shop staff and security guards, do have the power of citizens' arrest. And where it's safe to do so, I would encourage that to be used. Because if you just let people walk in and take stuff, it will just escalate. So I'm meant to be a cop now? I am supposed to be in my Vicky McClure in Line of Duty era. I... Well, actually, I feel like it would be more appropriate for me to be, um, oh God, I can't remember the actress's name, but she, she was in, um, the Disney movie Brave and she was like the really pretty one, um, who was dating that other pretty one, you know, the other girl 
and the, you know the one, you know who I mean, I don't know, maybe I should be her, I, well, some kind of cop, that's who I'm supposed to be now, I'm supposed to be putting people under arrest, no, absolutely not, absolutely not, and let's be real here, let's be real here, if the Tories had not allowed the standard of living to descend to the lows that it has, perhaps we wouldn't have these issues. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Speaking of uh, dipping standards, guess who was a guest at the Tory conference? Guess who had his ticket, had his pass and had a little dance with former Home Secretary Pretty Patel? Nigel Farage, girl, <laughs> girl, Nigel Farage was at Tory conference for some unknown reason, he was going around, he was feeling everything, I, I look, I, I, I guess maybe he got bored of selling gold on YouTube or whatever it is he does these days, um, or doing cameos where he gets tricked into saying stuff in support of the IRA. Um, and so he decided he was going to be a Tory again. Um, so <laughs> Nigel Farage apparently is welcome at Tory conference. That tells you all you need to know about the Tories really, doesn't it? Um, Rishi Sunak was asked about whether Nigel Farage would be permitted to rejoin the Conservative Party. And he refused to give an answer. <laughs> he refused to give an answer um rishi was also dragged by voters this week um there was a <laughs> a word cloud that was generated uh based on the one word that voters associate with the conservative party uh according to polling and these were some of the big ones useless rubbish incompetent corrupt, awful, crap, liars, bad, shit, rich, selfish, confused, unreliable, untrustworthy, shambles, idiots, hopeless, dishonest, inconsistent, greedy. <laughs> Did they lie? did they lie evil is listed on this word cloud failure delusional despicable shocking disgusting twats elitist self-serving weak <laughs> frauds <laughs> Thieves, uncaring, stupid, disaster, disgraceful, disorganized, ineffective. Did they lie? Did they lie? <laughs> I don't believe that they did. I do, I do not detect any lies. There are no lies detected. Um... One of the big words, in fact, the biggest word on this uh, 
beautiful little word cloud was useless and uh <laughs> and i i i i think this sums up uh the whole government on hs2 situation so what the hell happened what the goddamn hell happened um so <laughs> rishi for this whole conference period was basically refusing to talk about hs2 there were lots of rumors that the government was planning to scrap hs2 um that they were going to be scrapping the manchester lag in particular of hs2 so all of this money has gone into this rail project there's a lot of expectation and there have been a lot of promises made to to the north of england that they are going to get this project it's going to improve their lives there are people who have sold their houses they have had to sell their houses they've been forced to sell their homes to make way for this project there are people who have had their lives disrupted to make way for this project and then <laughs> And then there's all these rumours that the government is dropping it. And um, <laughs> and Rishi's like, no, no, look, I'm, I'm, I haven't decided yet. And I'm not going to make a decision yet. I, I don't, you know, I will not be forced into making a premature decision, he says to Beth Rigby on Sky News. Um, that's an important detail and you're going to want to remember that for later. So... It then comes the time for Rishi's speech. And for some reason, for some unknown reason, like I don't know why, but they had him introduced by his wife. And it was really awkward. She kept going on about how he's such a good guy and talking about their kids and stuff and his fucking parents owning a pharmacy again and all of this shit and i'm like why are you telling me this and why are you here like what what is this i go <laughs> this shit was cringe um rishi then eventually comes on his speech i mean it was incredibly long but it felt like he didn't really say all of that, like all that much. Um, the primary issues that he talked about was um, he wanted to make changes to welfare uh, to make sure that people who can work do work. By that, he basically means once again, um, forcing hostile work capability assessments onto people that that basically are intended to i'm just gonna say it to lie to lie because you can th these assessments are designed to basically give you a predetermined answer which is yeah they can probably work the whole point of it is to ignore a person's actual reality to ignore their day-to-day -day life and reality and what they are able to do and to just basically say, yeah, sure, they can work, fuck it. To try and get people um, 
off of the unemployment figures and, and all of that to make it look better for the government. This has been a repeated tactic by the government. Um, it is entirely rooted in ableism and it is them doing everything they can so that they have an excuse to abandon vulnerable people. Um, so the message from Rishi is we are going to continue doing that. We are going to once again heighten our attempts to antagonise disabled people. Which, I mean, if that were me, I, I would... I mean, firstly, I would not do it. And secondly, I would not be publicly bragging about it like some kind of monster. But this is Rishi Sunak. So, I mean, you know, he's awful. Um, he wants to increase uh, jail sentences for serious crimes. Um, I mean... <sighs> Okay, but what are you going to do about the backlog in the courts? Like, you can't exactly do that if no one actually gets to trial. But okay, girl. Um, he wants to continue support for Ukraine. Okay, that's actually good. Fine. Um, he w <laughs> This shit, I... <laughs> I had to laugh. Um, he wants to... Increase the legal smoking age by one year every year um, so that eventually there will come a point where some people will just never be able to legally smoke. If they want people not to smoke, they should stop fucking stressing us out by, like, governing in the most insane and terrible way. Because, listen... When I think about this government, I literally just want to sit in my fucking garden and smoke a cigarette and have a bit of a cry. Um, how do you expect me to stop, Rishi? How do you expect me to stop? Uh, <laughs> but I mean, okay. What I do find funny, though, um, you know, and it's, I mean, you can argue the rights and the wrongs of a policy like this. But what I find interesting is that this is a government that when it feels like it, will go on and on about personal responsibility and freedom and all of that. But then they'll be like, we are going to rejig stuff so that you cannot ever smoke cigarettes if you were born in like 2004. And um, we're also going to fuck about with a bunch of stuff on the internet so that you can't go on certain websites. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we were all for personal responsibility and freedom and shit. Because that does not feel like what this is. Uh, uh, speaking of freedom, uh, Rishi uh, is once again on his uh, obsessive um, school stuff. Uh, his big idea again is, God, more maths forever. Never ending maths. Maths that just goes on and on and on. Um, and he also, uh, plans apparently to, <laughs> to replace A-levels with the advanced British standard, 
um, which would include maths and English to 18. Uh, again, I, I don't know where the fuck he's going to get the staff to make this happen. Um, and also, what about these children's freedom to choose their own educational path? But, you know, again, we only get freedom when the government says we do. So, um, but <laughs> after this being one of his big announcements at conference, it was then later revealed that the brand new advanced British standard probably won't actually exist until about a decade after now. So by that point, they're probably not even going to be in power. So this is probably not actually going to happen. Um, so, I mean... If, if you were really attached to A-levels as they are now, you're probably fine. But um, <laughs> it's just, it, I, I don't understand why he has such a weird hatred of 16 to 18 year olds being able to do whatever they would like to do education wise. But there we are. Um, and then the big moment, he announces that <laughs> it's just so dumb. It's just so dumb um, that that HS2, the Manchester leg, is cancelled. He says costs have spiralled out of control. COVID has changed how people commute. Um, which is funny because the government is currently trying to force public sector workers back into the office, which is going to uh, massively up how many people commute. But there we go. Um, and apparently the government plans to invest £36 billion in projects across the North and Midlands. That sounds fake. Probably because it is. Uh, so... <laughs> One of the big projects that they announced was extending the Metrolink to Manchester Airport. Uh, so it's a tram line uh, in Manchester. The problem with that is that it, it already happened. That tram line already exists. It's already been done. So <laughs> they're, they're just promising to do things that have already happened. We're going to invest money in this thing that already happened in the past. Okay, Rishi. We're time traveling now? Right. Um, it's also uh it's also been um revealed later this week that the list of transport projects that Rishi was talking about in his speech, he gave a whole bunch of things uh that he was gonna do with this money that was being saved from HS2. Um and it's now been revealed that that list was illustrative and that these are ideas that the government might fund and that it there, there is no guarantee, basically, that those are not going to actually happen. So. So it sounds fake because it was. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. I, I don't even know what to say, really. Um, it was also revealed that people who had to sell their homes to make way for the Manchester leg of HS2... Well... They will be able to get their homes back, but they're going to have to pay a lot more money to get them back. 
because the houses have apparently gone up in value and so they are going to have to pay a lot more money to get their homes back if they want them. So they're basically being scammed by the government. Um, it's also been revealed that the government purchased a 1.5 million house that million pound house that was on that line less than 24 hours before the government cancelled the project so they spent over a million pounds buying a house when they knew that the project was being cancelled and how do i know how do i know that they knew you may ask well, I'll tell you how I know. Because Rishi Sunak posted a video on Twitter. And so the video is captioned and it says, I am cancelling the rest of the HS2 project. In its place, we'll reinvest every single penny, £36 billion, into hundreds of transport projects in the North, Midlands and across the country. Here's why. And there's a video of him chatting shit, basically. Except that video was filmed in Downing Street. And you can see that because it matches in terms of background and everything like that with other clips that have been filmed in Downing Street. And what this means is that he filmed that video announcing the cancellation of the HS2 project before he left for conference. So all week he was saying to journalists, I haven't decided yet. I'm not, I'm not sure yet. I haven't made up my mind. I'm not going to be pressured into deciding yet. Stop asking me. I haven't decided yet. But he had. Because he had pre-filmed a fucking video announcing it. And he just didn't have the brains to realise that it would look really obvious that he lied. But he did. So... Um, are they actually going to invest in the North? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, because, I, <laughs> I mean, they've had every opportunity. The Conservatives have been in power for over a decade. They have had every opportunity to invest in the North and they have failed to do so. Why would they start now? Genuinely, why? Why would they start now? I don't think that they will. Um... And and what what's really frustrating about this is that they think that people are stupid enough to fall for this. They really do. They really think that everybody is so dumb and so stupid that they will just fall for it. Because that is how little they think of us. Um, and that attitude kind of seems to be everywhere in the Conservative Party. So um, so there was a, a moment at Conservative Party conference. Uh, Lee Anderson was at an event and he was asked about the cancellation of HS2. Um, he was asked about how it would affect local services, including those to Bradford. And... 
his response was to say, anyone here from Bradford, would you want to get there quicker? I <laughs> the the arrogance of 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 being in a job, right, where your chances of staying in that job depend on members of the public voting for you. And they have other options and they can take their votes away from you at an election and give them to somebody else. And you sit there and you just start insulting random parts of the UK. What's wrong with Bradford? And you know what? Why don't they deserve high-speed, reliable rail connections? Why don't they deserve that? This is the thing. The Tories, they laugh about this, they joke about this, but it's not, it's not a joke to people. It's their real lives. Why don't the people of Bradford deserve good transport infrastructure? Why don't they deserve that? Tell me, Lee Anderson, quickly. Tell me why. They absolutely do. In fact, every part of the UK deserves that. And, and you know, you know what's insane to me? Um, in a week where the Tories cancel this huge project and also you've got Tory MPs laughing and joking as if it's so funny that parts of, of the UK are, are basically deprived in terms of transport options, do not have accessible, affordable, reliable transport. Um, you contrast that with, with the differences in other parts of the UK, in other countries in the UK. Um, I mean, in Scotland, they are halving some people's rail fares because they have they have removed they've removed peak tickets so everything is off peak and everything is lower priced now it's all at the off peak level so you can travel any time any time of the day and you are going to be able to to get an affordable train journey I don't know what that's like. Why? Because I live in England. Um, so I, I, I don't have that luxury. But they do. They have a government that is serious about getting shit done. They have a government that looks at a cost of living crisis and says, how can we help people? What can we do? And then they do it. They don't laugh. They don't make fun of people who, who need real options and real answers. They just find a solution and they implement it. And you see the same happening in Wales as well. The Welsh government is very proactive. Um, you know, and they are, they, they listen to people and to what they need. And then they put that in action. You would not see... Mark Drakeford laughing and joking at people in in parts of Wales who you know who are maybe looking for more options you wouldn't see him laughing at them and making fun of them at his party's conference he would listen 
and he would try and do something. You know, maybe it's not always going to be the right option the first time. Maybe it's going to take some work, but he would at least take it seriously. Humza Yusuf, you are not going to catch him fucking laughing at people and making fun of people and acting like it's all a big fucking joke. He's going to get something done. Again, maybe it's not going to be what people want the first time round. Maybe it's going to be a bit of a process. But you at least know that he gives a shit and he wants to actually help people. But we don't have that with the conservatives. Because for them, it is a fucking joke. For them, our lives are a joke. Which, <laughs> that's not sustainable. Uh, Lee Anderson was also... Uh, God, I cannot wait till this man loses his fucking seat. I can't stand this puta. So he... um. He was also talking about ADHD because apparently uh, 30P Lee is, is some kind of medical expert now. He knows everything about everything. Um, so he asked whether it was right for families with children who have ADHD to receive financial support. Um, and he said that ADHD is normally just bad parenting. Shut the fuck up with your no-knowledge fucking mouth, bitch. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. He said the benefit system is too nice. Too nice. Go and say that with a straight fucking face to families who are suffering due to sanctions for ridiculous reasons. You know, like they, they had to go to the hospital for a medical reason, sanctioned. They had to go and travel to a job interview and so they missed their appointment, sanctioned. They had to go to a funeral, which they gave advance notice for and they were still fucking sanctioned. Go say that to those people. Go say that the benefit system is too nice to disable people that are being harassed and bullied and, and fucking tormented every day when they're just trying to live their lives. Go say that to them. Go say to, to people in cramped, tiny, unfit accommodation because it's all they can afford that the benefit system is too nice. Go say it to people who... People who are in hardship, go tell them that it's too nice, Lee Anderson. And, and you know what? While we're here, why don't you go to kids with ADHD who have spent years and years being treated like they're stupid, treated like they're naughty and they're disruptive, never getting the support they need. Why don't you go tell them that it's just bad parenting? Why don't you go tell them that the failures, the consistent failures to meet their needs are meaningless and it's actually just bad parenting? This man knows nothing about nothing. He's a fucking waste. And I just, I, I, I can't stand him. He is so arrogant, so arrogant, and he is so cruel to the public that he should have the highest level of respect for because he is living a charmed fucking life, 
Do you think that anybody would give a shit about what he has to say or, or what he thinks of anything? Were he not a member of parliament, do you think he'd have his own television show and be invited to speak at events if he was just some random guy? No. Everything in his life, the TV show, the, the huge wage packet, the expenses, all the fancy things in his life, all the nice things in his life, frankly speaking, he owes to the British public. So for him to consistently disrespect them is disgusting to me. It's disgusting. He is disgusting to me. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to say it. That is how I feel. Um, <laughs> what else is disgusting? <laughs> I mean, it's to a conference this week, so I got a lot to choose from. Um, so when a brave woman stood on a, on a, on a guide dog, that was pretty fucking disgusting. <laughs> I mean, listen, <laughs> this feels like, um, like, like something that, that someone would write down as a joke. Oh, Suella Braverman just stomps around on guide dogs. Like, like someone would say it as a joke, but it's actually real. <laughs> so there was a, a guide dog stand at the Conservative Party um, it's it's quite common for organisations like that to to attend to Tory conference because it's the only chance they have to engage with the government and try and get them to be decent. I, I don't know what the success rate is, um, but I mean, they're trying, I suppose. Um, so she was there. And there was a, a man who was stood and he had his guide dog with him. And Suella Braverman was stood on the poor little dog. And she, she didn't even seem to notice. I, girl, if you don't get the fuck off that dog. My God, a Tory standing on a guide dog, it, it literally is just like, satirical gold except it's real um she also gave a speech um and there was a moment where she talked about um trans issues and she referred to it as gender ideology and there was a moment when a man and he was he was not he was not disruptive he was not shouting. He was not making a scene. He was literally just sat there. And he he muttered to himself. Like, it was barely audible. And and I would imagine if you were in the conference hall, you probably couldn't hear him at all. And he, he, just, he just basically said that he disagreed. Security launched on this man police launched on this man and dragged him out of the conference hall he was not yelling he did not stand up and start shouting at her he did not make a scene he was not violent he was just sat there he he murmured something in disagreement they launched on him they launched on this man and they dragged him out of the fucking conference hall. 
They took him all the way outside before they let him go. All the way outside. It was insane. And you know what's even more insane? He's a senior Tory politician. I... Like, I mean... It, it, I'm not saying it would be acceptable if it was just, you know, a standard party member or anything like that. But the fact that the Tories are so comfortable treating their own elected politicians this way really shows that they are like in end of days mode, I feel. Um, so he is Andrew Boff. He is the Conservative chair of the London Assembly. Um, they literally grabbed this man they scooped him up they carried him outside he didn't do nothing at all and there was there was a uh a, a slight arc of redemption though um so suella braverman i guess she tried to save face um because people were angry at the complete overreaction and how this man was treated. Um, so she tweeted, Andrew Boff's heckles were silly, but I think he should be forgiven and let back into conference. And he responded and he said, I don't want to be forgiven. Thank you. Icon. That was a little bit fucking skinny. I can't lie. Were he not a Tory, I might stand. I was like, yes, yes, bitch tell her read her a little bit why not um but i they threw this man out they threw him out of his own party's conference and what was the reason what was the reason jesus christ um continuing our theme of disgusting things that happened at the conservative party conference um therese coffee we haven't talked about her in a minute um so she is the current environment secretary um i don't like her i don't like her at all she just i just get a really unpleasant vibe from her I don't like her. Um, and I feel very justified after what happened this week. So she was uh, giving a speech at a fringe event. And she bragged about how she had stopped changes that would make it harder for people to have shotguns. Because, I mean, look, apparently the, the thing we all need most is more guns. Um, but she stood in the way of those changes that would have made it harder for people to have these guns. Um, but the reason... The reason that those changes were being considered was due to a mass shooting that happened in Plymouth in 2021. So you may remember that. Um, it was a horrifying situation um, in which many people lost their lives. Um, and there was a lot of controversy at the time because 
the shooter was somebody who any any normal person could agree should not have had a gun at all um and and yet did have a gun and so these changes could save lives in the future they could make sure that something like this never happens again that's the whole point of regulation it is to make sure that we can be safe in the future it is to make sure that we don't have to have another situation like that and that more people do not have to suffer but she not only stopped those changes from happening, but she bragged about it in a speech to try and impress these fucking weirdo gun enthusiasts. Um, she also said at the event, shooting is really important in the countryside. It matters a lot. And I can assure you the conservatives are on your side. disgusting uh she also said understandably there have been some serious incidents with shotguns in other parts of the country the plymouth murders and other elements like that so there was the potential reaction that would have made it harder for you to have shotguns and i stopped it i stopped that okay but have you thought about why people had that reaction because somebody dangerous was allowed to have a gun and several people, innocent people, lost their lives because of it. That happened, that was real. That was just a few years ago. It was one of the most horrific things that I think most of us can remember. And... She just sees it as a slight inconvenience to gun enthusiasts. But don't worry, because Therese Coffey's going to jump in and save it for you. She's going to get you your guns. Don't worry about it. Never mind the people that died. Never mind the people that could die in the future because she puts the fucking impotent obsession with firearms ahead of people's lives. And, and listen, I say this and I, I, I do not want to disrespect the people of America when I say this because I have so much love for their country and I think it's a wonderful place. But every day in America, there are lives lost to senseless, horrific gun violence. And it is horrible that people have that happen to them and we are fortunate in the UK that we have some level of regulation but it is very obvious it is very obvious that that legislation is not enough because in 2021, a dangerous person was able to have a gun and they took the lives of many people.
And now, a government minister is openly admitting that she she can be brought. She will do favours for the gun lobby. She will. And again, I, I, I don't mean any disrespect to America. I, like I said, the people are wonderful. It's a beautiful country. But so many of their politicians are beholden to the gun lobby. Bought and paid for. And people die because of that. Innocent people die because of that. Innocent people's lives are just sold down the river for guns. And now, now our own government ministers are admitting that they are willing to make that same trade. Our safety is not a priority for them. We don't matter to them. What is important to them is keeping the support and the donor money of the British Association for Shooting and Conservation. Because apparently their need to have guns is more important than our need to be safe from guns. So I did mention at the beginning of this episode that it is spooky season. It is October. Halloween is fast approaching. And um, <laughs> throughout October, I uh, I like to celebrate spooky season by creating a bunch of spooky things. Uh, because it is one of my favorite times of the year. And so you can uh, check out my website every day for something spooky something uh, scary it's free it's spooky it's haunted you know um so there's lots of uh spooky things going on uh this week actually um, <laughs> was the conclusion of a story which is super relevant to this podcast actually um i <laughs> and this this may be the thing that gets me put on a watch list or you know, something like that. But um, there is a story that I wrote uh, for Spooky Season this year, and it's called <laughs> Camp Ascension. And it's about the UK government doing something really, really terrifying and awful in their attempt to solve the quote-unquote small boats crisis. I mean, listen... Could could I imagine something more horrific than they might actually do? Maybe. Or maybe I've written something that's going to give them ideas. Oh, God. We don't know. We just don't know. Um, <laughs> it's actually um, one of quite a few stories I've written where the UK government is basically the main bad guy. <laughs> but, I mean, what can I do? They say write what you know and you know, if you are a horror writer and you are living under this government, they're going to find the way into it at some point. It is what it is. But anyways, 
I will uh, pop the link for that in the description. So if you want something a little spooky to get yourself in the mood for Halloween, then uh, you may want to check that out. So now we will return to the greatest horror of all, the Conservative Party. So Labour conference is now upon us. Um, they're going to be doing stuff and things, I guess. Um, there's not much that's come out of that at the moment, but there is currently a clip going viral on social media that alleges to be Keir Starmer verbally abusing members of staff at Labour conference. However, it turns out it's it's fake. It's fake. Uh, it appears to be AI generated. Um, and this is interesting as fuck to me because this is something that I I have a deep interest in. So, for you know the the last couple months, I have been. Uh, myself kind of experimenting with um, voice cloning and uh, what people would you know call deep fake uh, voice stuff um, <laughs> maybe they'd be a bit more technical than that but you know um, and the thing that people need to know is that you can effectively if you've got a little bit of time you can make a pretty decent copy of somebody's voice and make it say whatever the fuck you want. Uh, you may have seen on social media and stuff like that, AI covers of songs. So someone will take an artist's voice, create a pretty decent clone of it, and then get that artist to sing whatever they want. Like, you know, you could have um Celine Dion covering a Mariah song or uh Mariah covering a Whitney song whatever you know I'm sorry that all my references there are gay but you know what I mean um and you can basically get like I, I don't know you could have um fucking <laughs> Donna International from Eurovision covering a Peppa Pig song again sorry for the gay um you know, and that that is very popular. It's you see those every day. They go viral all the time. And in the background, there's been a lot of work into you know public figure impersonation. Um, there was a a video that went viral a little while back. The video itself looked a bit dodgy, but the audio was almost spot on, and it was basically Joe Biden. Um, angrily making fun of people that watch anime and it was it was like this whole thing um the audio sounded exactly like him because that is what you can do with this technology um i i myself literally just just for fun just to see if i could do it i created an ai uh clone of my own voice just to see what was possible 
Um, it's still a little dodgy here and there. She has her moments where she struggles, but there are, um, there are clips I've been able to generate where it, it literally sounds exactly like me. The tone sounds like me, the accent, um, even the way that I speak and the way that I, um, you know, would deliver dialogue. It, it sounds identical, um, there's a, a few issues to iron out before it's like a perfect, perfect copy, but it's pretty close, which is, uh, as, as somebody who, um, you know, uses their voice for a lot of different things, that's a little scary. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I, I did a, a podcast recently on one of my other podcasts. I did an episode recently, um, where I use that AI clone of my voice to talk about a new feature that Spotify is bringing to their podcasting platform, which will allow you to have your episodes translated into other languages using AI clones of your voice in those other languages. So um, I could release an episode in English and Spotify would use AI to clone my voice and generate a French version of that episode or a Spanish version of that episode or whatever, which sounds cool and interesting. But also, I don't know that it's a good idea for a huge uh, tech company that frankly has dodgy ethics and dodgy morals to have access to technology that can clone my voice and make it say whatever they want um and to have my permission for that I don't I don't know that that's a good thing um and when it comes to political stuff this is one of the issues with AI this is one of the dangers we we now have um, an audio clip of Keir Starmer and it sounds convincing I think and I think for most people it will sound very convincing um I I could kind of tell there was a couple little things I could pick up because because I've worked with this kind of stuff extensively so I was like wait a minute wait a minute this does not seem uh legit um but, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who won't be able to tell because it is a very good copy, in fairness. They did obviously work very hard to um, to get it together. They've spent a lot of time uh, training the model. And it, it does seem pretty close to to his natural voice. Um, so there are a lot of people that it could fall um and frankly doing something like this it's it's it i mean it's not easy but it's not super hard you know what i mean all you really need all you really need realistically speaking is audio clear audio of a person speaking which you know politicians particularly ones in a position like Keir Starmer who are um party leaders 
it's going to be very easy to find. You can find so much clean audio of Keir Starmer talking that it's, it's unreal. Um, and that's all you really need. And you can feed that in and you can use that to train the AI so that it knows that's the speech patterns it needs to emulate. That's the accent it needs to emulate. Um, that's, you know, the talking speed and all of that. And then there you go, <laughs> you know, with a little bit of work, you can make Keir Starmer say whatever the fuck you want him to say, including uh, you can make it sound like he's abusing members of staff at his party conference, or you could make it sound like behind the scenes, he was saying, I don't know, that he hates women or he hates gay people or... Uh, when he gets into power, he is going to imprison single parents and feed their children to alligators. These things might sound ridiculous, you know, as concepts. Like, you know, you look at Keir Starmer and you think, I don't know, is he really going to imprison, you know, single parents and feed their children to alligators? I don't know, man. But if you have a very clear audio of him saying it and it sounds pretty identical to how he speaks and someone says to you well here you go you can hear it from his own mouth that might be quite convincing that might be quite convincing um in terms of video um you know deep fakes are not they're not quite there when you get to video because with video it can be quite difficult to, you know, to match up the mouth with the words. It looks a little dodge. Um, so I think that, you know, there's going to be more work needed there um, before you can have... I mean, you, you, if you've ever seen that show years and years and there's that clip where all these politicians are being deep faked. Right, but th but this is supposedly set years in the future, so we're not supposed to be there yet, but we're almost there, which is crazy. Um, but you know, there's these politicians, and they're being like made to say fucked up shit, and then they're they're all like, "Wait, we didn't say that," but nobody believes them because it looks really legit. We're not quite there in terms of video. It's unlikely somebody could make a video of Keir Starmer saying awful things and it look legit, but they can certainly make convincing audio and they can pass that around social media. Um, and before anyone's been able to push back on it and say, oh, I don't know about that, Chief, it's too late because it's viral and there are people that believe it. On top of that, um, and I'm look, I'm not trying to victim blame, but, <laughs> but I don't know. UK politics can be shady as fuck and we have had situations where it's come out years later that people were trying to cover shit up people were trying to um stifle and hide away people who were trying to tell the truth um you know and this this is applicable to pretty much every party you can think of there will be some kind of story of somebody who wanted to come forward and talk and speak up about something they saw or something that happened and they were stopped and they were um they were silenced from that 
And so you do see sometimes people on social media coming forward, um, you know, sometimes anonymously or sometimes they will um, they will be able to, you know, speak publicly on their public account. Um, but they will use social media to talk about something that they haven't been able to talk about before. They may have tried going to the press, but the press don't want to touch it. So they're basically just posting it online and hoping somebody will, will listen. Uh, there is a, a an example of that currently that I can think of. There is a, um, a woman called Emma Walker who is she was previously part of the Liberal Democrats, uh, the Scottish Liberal Democrats, and she has been, for the last few months, trying to raise awareness of treatment that she received as well as other members of staff within the party. Um, she's been trying to raise awareness of that on social media because she has previously, I believe, um, had connections with journalists, you know, and they've been interested in telling her story, but then they have backed down. Presumably, after somebody uh, within the party told them not to. Now, I know that we all like to think that journalists are brave and news platforms are brave and they will always preserve the truth over like anything else but realistically speaking that's not always going to be the case it's not and and some sometimes it is it's it's a lot of times actually it's not the journalist at fault it is literally somebody much higher up than them has told them if you cover this you are fired if you cover this we will bury it and and so they're they're in a shit situation. And you know, Emma's story is not the only one like this. There are many people who have been involved in UK politics who have horrible stories that need to be told, but nobody that they can tell them to because they are telling these stories about powerful people. Do you know what I mean? And so that's the landscape we find ourselves in. And so if somebody comes forward on social media and says, I have audio of Keir Starmer being abusive, we are more likely to believe it because we know that we are in a situation where quite a few times the press and the media will not touch this stuff when it's real. So if you have fake audio, you have quite a, you know, you can come in and you can lie under plain sight and you can be like, well, you look, look, I tried to go to the media. They didn't want to touch it because the, the, the Labour Party machine have gotten to them. And it's believable because the press have refused to cover some stories about, you know, abuse in politics, um, you know, bad behaviour in politics. And so it is believable if someone comes forward and says, well, I would have gone to the press with this so that they could verify this totally real audio that I've got here, but they wouldn't touch it because someone in power got to them. It's believable now because it's happened in in 
potentially real cases of abuse and harassment and things like that, it's now so much easier for people with fake stories and, and fake audio clips to come forward and be believed on social media. There are people all over uh, social media right now who are believing that this clip of Keir Starmer is real. Um, I personally, I, I don't think that it is. I think it is somebody fucking about, um, <laughs> especially when you look contextually uh, at this person's Twitter feed. It very much seems that they don't like Keir Starmer. And I think they did this because they thought it was funny. Um, they they seem to be joking with a lot of their mutual followers about this. And so it, it seems like a big joke. And I think maybe this is somebody's idea of a joke. Um, but the problem is, is it's being taken very seriously. Um, it, it probably won't be amplified by, you know, national media or anything because... They, they will have done their own assessments and verified th this is probably bullshit. But that doesn't matter because a lot more people are getting their news from social media these days and they're going to see this viral clip of this audio of Keir Starmer being a horrible bastard to members of staff and they're going to think, yeah, fuck Keir Starmer. What a horrible bastard. Even though it's not real. And... This is going to keep happening. There's going to be more. There's going to be more. Um, it probably won't just be Keir Starmer. There's going to be a lot more of this uh, this kind of audio coming out, um, trying to drop politicians in it for things they haven't done. Um, it, it will, frankly, make it harder for people to find out the truth about things because, you know, there may be cases you know, like I said, where, where somebody is telling the truth, has gone through something horrible involving a politician, but genuinely cannot get the support because genuinely the party machine will not allow it to happen. Um, and they will now no longer be believed because people will have their doubts about everybody. Um, so this is, this is a very, um, it's a very dark road that we're going down. And, I mean, it's going to make this election interesting, but like in all the worst ways. So Labour conference is kind of in its beginning stages. They're all gathering in the good city of Liverpool. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they're having a lovely time. I'm sure they're having a lovely time. Um, there was uh <laughs> there was a clip that's gone viral um today uh as I record these final parts for this week's podcast on Monday um of <laughs> of an interview where Angela Rayner is is giving an interview for Channel Four and her mum rings her and <laughs> and it's 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 a really sweet very human adorable moment where 
her mum rings and and she's trying to explain to her mum she's in the middle of an interview and so she needs to go but her mum just keeps like she, she's just you know she's like oh I just wanted to, to ring and say hi and congratulations and it's it's really sweet um and I saw it and I instantly thought that's a northern mum thing my mum is is from the north um if, if you didn't know uh she is actually from Liverpool she's not at uh, Labour conference, but she, <laughs> but she, she is from Liverpool, um, and it's funny because I was just recording a little bit about this video just now, and then my mum rang me, and I, <laughs> I just started to think, this is this is a this is definitely a northern mum thing, um, and I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I don't know. So, but I just, I just thought it was a sweet moment, you know, um, and it's very human. And I, I think that is one of Angela Rayner's big strengths as, uh, as a political figure. Um, and I think it's a big benefit that the Labour Party has with her is that she is just very, very real, very human. And that's incredibly endearing. Um, when you think about the fact that and I'm not trying to be rude to anyone when I say this, but I think a lot of people are tired of very, um, very kind of micromanaged images of politicians. You know, they have to, they have to behave and act exactly like a focus group thinks that they should and, and all of this. And she's just, she's a normal person. And I, and I think that's, that's really going to be a great help for her um, and, and by extension, the Labour Party. Um, so the Labour Party is kind of in its beginning stages at the moment. There's still quite a bit to go. Um, but there was a, a big speech from Rachel Reeves. Um, she is the Shadow Chancellor. Um, and she had quite a few big announcements, things she wanted to say. Probably the biggest was a COVID corruption commissioner. The announcement of Labour appointing a COVID corruption commissioner, great use of alliteration, by the way, uh, to recover money that was lost to waste and fraud during the COVID pandemic. So um, one of the things that that I, I think the UK government is very much trying to avoid because they don't want to acknowledge it, especially as a lot of it was happening under the current Prime Minister's watch because he was Chancellor at the time, um, is that there was a lot of taxpayer money that was given out to companies that didn't need it, um, that was given out under the understanding that, you know, it was being used for pandemic related reasons but it was just to buy some executive a new car or something um there was a lot of money that was wasted that was stolen um of course there's the dodgy ppe contracts the whole michelle moan situation um and so i i think this is very much a positive from the labor party if this is something that they are serious about um, because, you know, we are in a situation where we are repeatedly told 
There's no money for all the things you want and all the things you need. There's no money to help struggling people. There's no money to give people fair pay rises, people in the public sector. There's no money to deal with backlogs in public services. There's no money for hospitals. There's no money for schools. But there are... <laughs> there, there is just, just millions of pounds, billions of pounds, in fact, of our money... That was basically just nicked during COVID and the Tories did fuck all about it. So if Labour does actually intend to do something, I think that is definitely a positive and I, I very much support that actually. Um, that, is, that is cool with me. Um, <laughs> Labour have also, uh, and this, this has gone down with a bit of a mixed reaction, they have unveiled their new Labour Party membership card. Um, and uh, there are some people who are into it and some people not. Uh, so it is a... How would I describe this? It's it's kind of a red background and it goes into the, the Union Jack flag. Um, and then on the back... God, this is basically a monologue. What is this? It says, putting the country first. The Labour Party is a democratic socialist party. It believes that by the strength of our common endeavour, we achieve more than we achieve alone. So as to create for each of us the means to realise our true potential. And, God. How are you going to put a monologue on the back of a membership card? Only the Labour Party. Um, for all of us... As a community in which power, wealth and opportunity are in the hands of the many, not the few, where the rights we enjoy reflect the duties we owe and where we live together freely in this, in a spirit of solidarity, tolerance and respect. And then the contact details for, for the party. Um, and some people are into it and they like it and some people think, girl, what the fuck is this? Um, I've seen quite a few people who think it has like almost <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, hyper, almost militant unionist vibes, which makes some people uncomfortable. But there are some people who are really into that. I I, I mean, this is the problem when your party is a broad church, I guess. Um, but it, it does appear that Labour aesthetically is undergoing a, a rebrand um because the the union jack features heavily in uh, a lot of their conference branding and a lot of their party branding um that's popped up this week they've also got a big logo with the flag and it says let's get britain's future back um <laughs> okie doke lads uh, i guess i guess we'll see um how that goes um, but Labour Conference is still in its infancy and we will be catching up with the rest of what happens there, what goes on. I think it could be a bit chaotic because it's Labour and you know how they are. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what happens. Okay, besties, that's all for this week, but I will catch you again next week. Love you, bye. I nearly wet myself then. Thanks for listening, bestie.
I hope you enjoyed the show and I will see you again next time for a new episode of what the actual fuck is going on with this whole politics business stuff about me paddleboard nonsense the sea was actually closed it was a, a red notice you just can't call it we will not be caught with no clothes on i've always been a completely normal uk tax player it's not in opposition that i want to be and it's nicola's desk i want i want to serve this country as first minister and it's labor values you can have the desk and just not get a job <laughs> i don't know if you've been to pepper pig world who's been to pads i've been who's been to pepper pig world in december i'll be in beijing opening up new pork markets. I mean, seriously. What the actual fuck? Love you, bye.